welcome to Can I Butt In, the Bowel Research UK podcast, where we welcome bowel cancer and bowel disease patients, researchers, healthcare professionals and carers to butt in and share their experiences. We're picking a topic every episode and getting to the bottom of it. I'm your host, Sam Alexandra-Rose. I'm the Patient and Public Involvement Manager at Bowel Research UK. And as a patient myself, I'm excited to bring more patient and researcher voices into the spotlight. Hi everybody, today I'm sitting down with Nigel Horwood. Nigel is one of our guest bloggers at Bowel Research UK. He writes about living with Crohn's disease and I wanted to talk to him because I love hearing about all of the ways he keeps his medical world organised and advocates for himself within the healthcare system. So hi Nigel, welcome to the podcast. Hello Sam, good to be here. Great to have you on. So I always like to start by giving listeners a little bit of context. So could you just tell us a bit about yourself and share anything that you're comfortable with about how you've come to be sitting here with me today? Yeah, sure. I'm a long-term Crohn's patient. It was October 1977 when I started to feel unwell. And it actually took, as I'm sure many of the listeners will will know, it took months to find out that I actually had Crohn's disease. So I've just passed my 45 years diagnosis. A lot of the time, the Crohn's was fine, under control until 2009, but we might come on to that later on. In 2017, I took early retirement because it seemed like a good idea, especially if you've got chronic illness, to retire as early as you can. And I was looking around to do something that would help other patients, and I saw Bowel Research UK, or Bowel and Cancer Research as it was then, on social media, on Twitter, as it turned out, and it They were looking for volunteers to take part in studies and research. And I volunteered and I haven't looked back. And I've been involved in a huge number of varying projects. And it has been absolutely fascinating. And it's opened up other opportunities as well to get involved in in trying to make everyday life for IBD patients uh, a bit easier. So that's why I'm here. And that's why I'm talking to you, Sam. And it's it's great, I think, because a lot of the things that I've read in your blog posts and the things that we're going to talk about today are things that will help not just IBD patients and Crohn's patients, but I mean, I've learned some things that would be useful for me going to my appointments as a Good. as a cancer patient as well. So Good. Good. Well, in that case, I feel vindicated in doing what I've been doing. You're doing good work. So Let's talk about some of the things that you do then to advocate for yourself within the healthcare system and to keep things organised. And the first thing that I have written down on my my list from what we've spoken about before is always seeing the same doctor. Yes, um, I'm sure other patients will have been through the situation where you see a different doctor each time and the first half of your appointment is spent with them probably with their back to you, staring at the PC screen, trying to catch up, or in the good old days, with a huge folder of of paper notes, trying to catch up with how you got to where you are and why you're sitting in front of them. And that really is is a waste, to me, a waste of time, waste of resources. If you can build a relationship with your doctor, 
they can pick up on things that a new doctor wouldn't. They'll know whether you're looking uh, okay, whether you really are coming clean with all the things you're suffering from. And I was, I felt vindicated with that because in 2018, and again in 2021, the BMJ published a couple of studies which showed that by seeing the same doctor, uh, I mean, this was quite a, a major thing, seeing the same doctor reduced death risk. Now, okay, I'm hopefully not going to uh, suffer from death risk at the moment, but it shows that there is a genuine and researched reason for seeing the same doctor. So if you can, I would always recommend asking to see the doctor. And if a different doctor comes out of the door and calls you in, don't feel embarrassed to say, I would rather see my usual doctor if they are available. And I've done that several times. You could even say to them, to the nurse who is uh, doing the reception, could you put a note on top of my folder that says to be seen by Dr. X rather than Dr. Y? Real benefits, I, I see. That's really good to hear that this is something that's backed by actual research, because I think it's one of the things where people might think that if I'm fussy about wanting to, to see the same doctor, people might think that I'm being demanding or, you know, just, you know, being a, a little bit fussy or, or something. So it's it's good to have, as you say, that that vindication to, to know that actually this is beneficial to anybody who's a patient to, to yeah. see the same doctor. Yeah, I mean... In the in when I was first diagnosed, it was very much doctors were gods. You didn't question them, and you did whatever they said. And if somebody else came out the door to see you, you that was it. But now I feel that the emphasis has changed, and I see consultants as a resource I can use to manage my health, not as somebody who is going to tell me what to do. It's it's all going to be shared decision making, and if, if you're making a shared decision. It's so much nicer if it's someone you've already built a relationship with and who knows not just about your health, but maybe what your outside interests are and, and what you would consider to be a reduction in your quality of life. It's, it's a big old subject that, um, maybe for another time. It is, yeah. And I think that's a really good way of looking at it, though. I think that if you're going in feeling like you're a, having these shared decisions with your doctor and you're an equal partner and there's somebody there that can can help you to to do that then then that's very empowering and I I put it along the same kind of lines of when I get a letter for an appointment coming through I've reframed it it helps a little bit it's I still don't want to go to appointments and scans and things but it does help to think of it as an invitation and to always know that actually I don't have to go to appointments. I should, and I know I should, and I do, but we we all still have that control that ultimately we don't have to do these things, but we do them because we are empowered to, to make the right yes. choices for ourselves. Yes, I agree with you. I, I mean, I came up with, it's quite a glib way of putting it, but I say that my consultant is the expert in my condition, but I'm the expert in my health. So by using those two sides of the equation, you can hopefully get to the, to the right treatment or the right answer or the right surgery that is going to suit you the best and give you the best quality of life. 
Absolutely. And I think one other thing as well is that if you're going in and you're seeing this new doctor and you have to go through all of your medical history with them over again and they're asking you questions like, what happened here? What operation did you have here? It's quite stressful and emotionally taxing, isn't it? As a patient to have to revisit that time in your, your life that was you know, potentially very distressing. Yeah, no, I can, I can understand. Now, somehow, and I don't know how, and I believe it's going to be the subject of my next blog post for BRUK, is how I've managed to get incredibly laid back about appointments, procedures and everything. Something happened back in, I say, 2009 that really changed my attitude 100%. But I, I don't want to spoil that. Ooh, okay, we'll come on to that, will we? Yes. <laughs> Okay, uh, I hope that that's something that I can I can feed off because I'd like some of that laid backness. <laughs> right. <be> quite good. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't it doesn't always work because if you're laid back, the people around you get even more stressed. Right. Uh, as I as my wife keeps pointing out to me, but uh, uh, I, I I like laid back. It's good. Yes. Okay. Well, the second thing that I have on my list is listing and diagramming your previous symptoms, procedures, medications, all of that sort of stuff. And unfortunately, because this is an audio only podcast, I think it would have been great to be able to, to see one of those diagrams. But can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, it got to, I think it was about 2012. And it wasn't just Crohn's and IBD. I'd, I'd started to pick up some other issues, partly due to Crohn's, partly due to surgery. And I couldn't make head nor tail of it. I couldn't understand the relationship between these various strands of my health. And it seemed to me it was like a jigsaw. So I took that metaphor and I drew a diagram. And basically the major pieces of the jigsaw are the major events in my health history. And then there's lots of little side events that fed into them. Things like MRI scans or uh, infusions, things like consultations and whether we took a decision or whether we deferred a decision. And by doing that, I can get all my medical history from 1977 through to the current day on one diagram. And it has proved really useful. Now, I unfortunately, I ended up in A&E in March this year, and the doctor started talking about well, I'm not sure what. I, I gave them a copy of my diagram and it shut, normally shuts them up for about five minutes whilst they look at it and they just go, oh, this is very useful. Can I stick this in my notes? So I found it really useful because, as you were saying, when you're being asked about well, what happened in that year or why did you have this done, what surgery did you have, it's all there. And if I want to get more information, at least I have data, I can then go off and have a look at and it, it's it's proved really really useful and because I did that I then wrote the book or I wrote the book because of that um, and I feel now I've got something I can put on the shelf and if anyone asks me a question I have the definitive answer I haven't got to go through I've got eight A4 files of notes at the moment I don't have to go through all of those to get the answer they're looking for it gives me a chance to manage and understand my health better. Yeah, that's that's really good that it helps you and 
your doctors as well. And interesting that you mentioned writing too, because when I wrote my my memoir, I mean, I do a lot of sort of writing poetry and things anyway, but when I, I wrote my, my memoir, it was really just writing all of my health experiences from the beginning to the, the present. And it, it really helped me to just to put everything in, in order because I think things get, get a bit muddled up in my brain. I forget what happened when yes. and it all feels a bit muzzy. Yeah, um, so yeah, I guess writing and also sort of diagramming and be able to see it in a visual way are both both different ways of, of achieving that that kind of being able to make sense of it all for yourself yeah. as well. But certainly writing is something I found so invaluable. I started blogging uh, really at the request of a friend who knew I was going into hospital for a pretty major op. And she said, look, why don't you start a blog? <laughs> Nobody wants a blog. Why would anyone want a blog? So no, if you write a blog, we can log into it each day and we can see how you're doing. So that's how I started. And since then, I found it helps me to become very objective about what's happening to me and not subjective. So if I'm going in for a new test, like, I don't know, liver biopsy or a bone marrow biopsy, which sounds pretty scary. And I heard that certainly liver biopsy described as probably the worst the worst test for patients to go through. I treated it as a, this is an experience, let's report on it. And that really, really helped. So I'm a great advocate of writing, I know you are. Um, yeah, anyone, keep if you don't keep a diary when you're in the hospital or, or just a health diary, I, I really would recommend that. Yeah, it sounds like it's quite a good way as well. If if you are blogging or if you're sharing it with other people, then you can tell everybody what's going on at once and you don't have to have the same conversations over and over, which again can be a little bit burdensome. Exactly. And and also you do get feedback from complete strangers who may either have been through the same thing or are about to go through the same thing. And it's great to get support from them, but also be able to give support to others. It's, it's, it's nice. We have a nice little IBD community out there and, and we support each other. It's great. The internet is is a bit of a, can be a little bit of a double-edged sword, ah, can't it? Ah, <laughs> the no, community. there's another pet subject. <laughs> and and uh, yes, I, yes, uh, we, we might, yes, we could come on to that, having, having had a new diagnosis in the last couple of weeks. Uh, yes, that's an interesting one mm. about Dr. Google and social media forums and uh, the perils of of using them. Yeah. Is, is I, mean, the, I don't know if you want me to go into it now, but I, I can. I'm happy for you to. We, we can wander around and come, come back. Yeah, you go can for edit it. me out if I say <laughs> um, Well, I, I've recently been diagnosed with and I'm going to have to read this because I can't remember what it means. Even my consultant was struggling. Right. Superior mesenteric vein thrombosis. So okay. we have this, this new thing. So I, I thought, what do you do? You look up, don't you? Google it. Yeah. So I Googled it. The first page I came to basically said, it's fatal. Oh, gosh. I'm thinking, great. Not really. The next page I came across said, this is a manageable condition and can have fairly mild consequences. And that is the danger. What, what you have to do is look behind some of these 
studies and reports and understand that there may be other factors that are also causing the risk factors to be much higher. I had a similar thing with portal vein thrombosis, which my doctor, the doctor who was standing next to me in the ward round, said, do not look this up. No, I didn't. I told my sister. And my sister looked it up and rang me straight back and said, oh, dear. And I thought, no, I don't want this. So you just have to be very careful. You know, that was, what, uh, 11 years ago. Well, I'm still here. Yeah, you be careful. And the other one is the forums. And I know we've discussed this before. But in my opinion, and I haven't done any research on this, people who use forums are going to be people who've got problems, who are looking for support. Uh, so if you read a forum, it's going to be heavily weighted to the negative. The people who are doing really well are probably out doing some, I know, skydiving or some some lovely risky activity and couldn't give a, what's the word, what's the polite word, a stop <laughs> yes, about reading a, a Facebook forum about some disease that they have, yeah. as far as they're concerned, got under control. So I do worry that the first thing somebody does is looks up on Dr. Google and then goes to the first forum they can find with the name that matches what they've been diagnosed with. And I have seen some really horror, very tragic cases of people saying, I'm getting so wound up, I've read all this, it's really bad. I try and do the opposite and say, well, yes, it can be really bad, but there are not everybody. We all suffer, for instance, IBD differently. So uh, yeah, I, I do get concerned about the internet. Now, when I was diagnosed, there was no internet. There were no computers. Uh, so we certainly couldn't have an internet. And so I lived in blissful ignorance for many years. And uh, was it better then? No, probably not. But uh, at least I didn't worry when I was diagnosed. It was nobody had ever heard of Crohn's disease anyway. Mm. I mean, some, sometimes you can Google something and before you've even clicked on a Google result, you have got the little thing that says, people also ask. Uh, yes. <laughs> Which you can also to, be quite scary. Yeah, you tried doing that for, what did I did it for either Crohn's or colonoscopy. I did it for one of the two. And you could see what the top seven concerns were of people. Right. All really, really horrible concerns, you know, really uh, negative things. Now, I'm not saying IBD isn't negative, but uh, there are ways of improving your life once you've been diagnosed so so it's not all please it's not all doom and gloom no okay seeing what's next on my list i have keeping notes and making lists for appointments right well i would say if there's just one thing to take away from this podcast mm -hmm. is when you go for an appointment have a list of the questions you want to ask. And maybe not just questions you want to ask, but maybe the questions your partner wants to ask. Because the worst thing is you go in there, you have your consultation, you may get overwhelmed by it, especially if it's probably quite a, a new thing for you. You come away and somebody says, and what about this? And you go, oh, I forgot to ask. So I, I just say, write a list and have it there. But it, it's a good management tool 
you, you can tell I used to be, I used to work in project management. So I'm trying to use the techniques that we had for managing mega projects into, uh, into your help. If you've got a list, you can say to the consultant, here's my list of questions. And then you're setting the scene for that appointment. Until you get to the end of the list, the appointment isn't over. So there's no way to try and get you out the door after 10 minutes. Not that I've ever had that happen, I hasten to add, but it sets the theme for it. Here we are, here are the list of questions. When we get to the bottom, then we can actually finish the consultation. And the other thing is if you become emotional, which I tend not to, but I can understand how easy it would be to become emotional, and you're finding it difficult to get the questions out, you can pass your list over to the consultant and, and just say, this is what I want to know about. So it, it's really useful. So that is my top tip for dealing with appointments. And ideally, if we have somebody that we could bring with us, that, that would also be great. I think that it was really useful for me having my, my partner in with me, um, but that was pre-pandemic. So I don't know what it's like now if you can bring partners in again. But for a long time, it had to be just me going to my follow ups because he wasn't allowed in with me. No, now, nowadays um, you can. Yeah, you can, you can accompany people in. That's I mean, good. Normally I'm, I'm on my own because I've got used to doing all these things on my own. And my wife needs to be here to manage home, animals and things. So... Um, yeah, nowadays you can take someone in with you. And yes, it can be very, very valuable because they can put a different, slightly different aspect on it. But I have heard people actually video recording their appointments. Now, I'm, oh. I'm not, I know, I'm not so sure about that. Or even just audio recording. Some do it secretly and I, that just doesn't ring true. Yeah, I'm not sure about that. Not for me. But when you've got your list, the other thing you can do with a list, you can write the answers down. Yes. Because when the follow-up letter comes through, and some clinics are brilliant. I mean, I went to a thrombosis clinic a week ago. I've already got the follow-up letter that clearly covers everything we discussed. Brilliant. I've been to other clinics, I won't name them, but it was a year and no follow-up letters. When they did come through, they were perfect. They covered everything, but I could check them because I had written on my list of questions the answers that we, we'd come up with. So it, it's, it's a good way of checking that what was discussed actually is then reported and recorded in your note. Right, because, I mean, the other thing that I've got on, on my list here is in, ensuring that appointments have been booked. So if you've been to an appointment and you've written something down and sort of said oh, I'm going to send you for this test or whatever if you've got that written down then should you not hear anything then you can follow the, that up and, yeah. and make sure that happens yes yeah, yeah. Med medical secretaries are brilliant yeah and and they're the ones if you if you can uh, make friends with them it's it's ideal because you you can ring them up and say that uh, that video capture is that been booked yet mm -hmm. and, and you, or can you help me oh those those three words that four words can you help me yes they are the best uh, that will be my number two tip always start your head sentences when you're seeing somebody uh maybe behind reception can you help me it's brilliant the doors it can open it makes people want to help exactly 
Exactly. And it works in all, in all aspects of life. It's brilliant. So have there been any times when you thought, oh, I'm, I'm glad I did that or I'm glad that I checked that because if I, if I hadn't have done that, then something would have slipped through the cracks? Well, recently I, I knew that I was booked for a, or uh, was going to be booked for a video capture endoscopy. And I double checked and the request was waiting on something else happening. So I could clear that log jam. And now I'm just waiting for the appointment to come through. But I know the request is on the system because I've spoken to someone who said, hang on, let me check. Yes, the request is on the system. So it is worth, maybe if you haven't, well, this is a trouble. It, waiting times at the moment can be fairly extended uh, for simple procedures. Some procedures have to be carried out at a certain time. So, for instance, banding. I, I get my uh, barricades banded in my esophagus, and they that's done on a four-weekly basis. If, if you need it, you have to be seen within four weeks to come back and check. But other ones can be, so this video caption endoscopy could be six weeks, could be eight weeks, mm-hmm. which you'll see. But I've got an appointment in eight weeks' time where they want the results of it. So we have a sort of a right. window. You've got a deadline. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's just worth bearing this in mind, putting it on, the, on your calendar, you know, check up. Maybe two weeks after an appointment, but, you know, check that whatever procedure it is has been booked. Yeah. I wondered about, like, the learning curve for all of this then. I mean, did it take you a long time to discover that some of these things uh, would be helpful for you, like the the diagram and the making notes, all of that sort of stuff? Or was any of it stuff that you kind of did right from the start? Well, I say, be- because of the... The nature of my job, chasing people up, making sure things got done on time is, is part of something I've lived with for 40, yeah, 40 years, 45 years. So the, the, the idea of doing all this was already there. But I keep, I keep referring to this 2009 when something changed. And that change was, I was told that the drugs were the final last resort and if I didn't react to them, then I will be having surgery. And that up until then, it was the normal thing. You go and see the consultant, the consultant tells you this, you just have a short discussion, and then you go away. Once I knew I was going to have surgery, both myself and my wife were called in to see the surgeon, the leak gastro, and my own gastro. And we all sat down. I can still remember it now. It was a hot day in a little office in in our local hospital and one guy was sitting on the corner of the desk eating mars bar the the senior uh, consultant was sitting in the chair on the desk and the surgeon was standing next to me and finally i thought wow they're actually listening to what i'm saying what my wife's saying we're having a proper adult shared discussion and i think that suddenly kicked off this whole idea is, oh, you, you can have a part of the management of this. You don't just have to listen and take what you're being told. And then that progressed. They decided they couldn't cope with the recovery. 
at the local hospital. They said the operation was too complex. So they referred me to St Thomas's up in London. And, and wow, I mean, just to go in there and see how they operate and talk to enhanced recovery nurse, stoma nurse. Again, full two-hour discussions, none of this 10 minutes and uh, looking at your watch, I've got to go out, I've got to get the next patient in. And, and that really had a big difference. And, and that's what hit me off into, yep, we can we can work this one together and come up with decent solutions that suits everybody. Wow. So I'm just thinking then maybe it would be helpful for somebody who perhaps hasn't had that kind of experience or doesn't think that they've particularly had that kind of experience to, to think about, well, OK, have have there been times in my journey where I have felt a little bit more like an equal or has there been times when you know when when I did feel like I had an equal partnership in in the shared decision making and, and just try and grasp onto that feeling yeah I I, I suppose really that the very first time having I said it was this meeting with the surgeon that the very first time I realized I could influence things was when I was told I needed infliximab and I was told takes a long time to get approval. It's very expensive drug. You know, it's going to take at least four weeks. There's various committees it has to go through. And after two weeks, I'm desperate because I'm feeling absolutely awful. So I rang up the chief pharmacist at our local hospital. Managed to get his number. I can't remember how. Rang him up and said, can you help? There we are, those four Ah. minutes. Can you help me? And he said... You don't need to go through all those hurdles. He said, give me 10 minutes, I'll ring you back. 10 minutes later, he rang back, said, yep, it's all approved. Wow. And, and I suppose really, yeah, having thought about it, that is the thing that really kicked off the, wow, you can do things here. You really can influence how you're treated. So, um, yeah, it's, it's worth it. And you should be, your consultants and doctors should be doing shared decision-making with you. You shouldn't be being told and you should be seeing them regularly. And and I know it's not equal across the country and that some hospitals are better than others. And if you don't like your hospital, and it, it sounds very easy for me to say, you can just change hospital. I mean, I, I've moved from my local hospital to St Thomas's because I felt the care was better. So it... Okay, I can travel up to London. I can understand if you're stuck out in the middle of some country area and it's very difficult to to arrange for travel, childcare and all things like that, to make a trip to a major hospital a long way away, then you you can't do that. So really, the only alternative is try and improve your, your local hospital. Again, I can say it sounds easy, but I know it's not. Well... Probably sometimes people don't even realise that they have that option to to change hospitals or to change doctors or get a, a second opinion. A lot of the time people might just feel stuck, but it's good to think, oh, actually, you know, what would you do if you could improve your care in any way? You know, if, if you had the option to change something, to change hospitals, like maybe maybe it is actually possible and then people could get get a different care. Yeah, yes. I mean, I also, I did, I did fall out with a senior 
gastroenterologist at my local hospital, but that's another story. You'll have to read the book to hear <laughs> about that and the very frosty atmosphere that created. Oh, would you like to tell us about your book just while we're on the subject? Oh, yeah. I mean, it started as a bit of a, well, not a hobby. Uh, just, uh, I just, I needed, as I said earlier, I needed something on, on a shelf that I could, was my ultimate reference book. And then I thought, well, actually, some of what happens is quite funny. Some of what happens is quite scary. And if I can make it more, I don't know, if I can help other people who are just about to go through some things, then great, I feel good. And so I wrote it, and I couldn't think of a name. And then I remember what the surgeon said to me. He said, oh, yeah, we've had a look at the CT scan, and uh, it looks like you've got an octopus in there. So, ah, octopus, that's good. And then I thought, NHS, the NHS is like an octopus because it's got all these different tentacles, all these different departments, and you have to somehow get them all working in unison. So, for instance, I have hematology, hepatology, and gastroenterology, and you have to keep them all working in harmony. Otherwise, you get uh, appointments in the wrong order, and then you have a wasted appointment because something hasn't happened that needed to happen before you saw the next time. Uh, yeah, that's like an octopus, so I call it Wrestling the Octopus. And it is available as a free download, because I'm not going to charge anyone if it, if it helps them. Free download is an e-book. What's the address? Where can people find it? Oh, well, it's, it's www.wrestlingtheoctopus.com. Yes, I, I went out and purchased the domain name. Love it. But it's there, yeah. If you look under the book tab, it's uh, it's there, and you it's various formats, so Kindle and PDF and whatever the other one is, I can't remember. Needs a new chapter to cover this latest. Uh, well, that's that's the thing, isn't it? Things keep happening, and then you have to keep writing more. Yes, you can lose the will to to write at some point, especially when the sun shines. Mm. It's just so much rich interesting stuff here and I think yeah it, it all does sort of go back to to that kind of it's basically project managing your, yourself isn't it yeah. project managing your yeah. your diagnosis and kind of the NHS and its staff as, as well you're kind of a, the project lead for for everything really well yeah they, if you if you think the the ultimate goal is to get yourself as well as possible and to have as best quality of the best quality of life that you can achieve given the constraints that chronic illness or illnesses may impose upon you then as long as you treat that as your your ultimate goal then yeah you can you can organize people now I have met quite a few consultants in my time and not all of them are Oh dear, this is this is going. To, I, I'm I shouldn't make a global uh, comment, but not all of them are good at managing their time. They're brilliant as clinicians and things like that, but it's interesting. I did a training course for guys. I took part in a training course, and it was so interesting to hear the different all the different characters the various surgeons and anaesthetists had. But then they're just human beings like the rest of us, and we're all different. So some of them just aren't designed to manage their time as well as maybe 
I can or you can with a vested interest in getting the best out of the system and making your life the best you can. So I may know the answer to this question already, but is it always easy to be proactive and to advocate for yourself? No. Or are are there times when it's more difficult? Yeah, it, it gets more difficult as more departments get involved. Because if you're just dealing with one one department, fine. But then when other departments start, say, getting involved, or when you go to A&E at your local hospital and there is no universal record system, so they can't look at your medical records from from the other hospital. So, so for instance, my local hospital cannot see the records from St Thomas's and vice versa. So then that... That is more difficult because you have to try and well, you have to try and get the right people in contact with each, with each other. So it's always worth knowing their email addresses. And if you don't know their email addresses, you can normally work them out. Uh, and I have done that in the past when I've needed, uh, when I've hit a roadblock. When I was having my reversal operation, I hit this roadblock. I was due to have it at the east at Easter time and I couldn't because my platelet count was so low, which was due to azathioprine. That's another story. And the nurse kept saying to me, you must get a letter from the hematologist. Well, I tried and tried and tried. I mean, I really did try to get the letter from my local hematologist. So I've got hematologists at my local hospital. I've got the operation at St. Thomas's and trying to coordinate them. I finally got the letter the day after the operation was cancelled. And then I thought, what do I do now? I, I said, well, can you just get me back on the list? Well, that's down to the surgeon. So I, I found the surgeon's name and emailed him. And I was back on the list within a day. So it sometimes it feels wrong to do these things. But if you keep that focus on the fact that it's your health, and essentially your well-being and your quality of life, then some of the things that maybe you wouldn't normally be so pushy about, it it makes it a lot easier. What about support from other people then? Is there somebody who helps you to advocate for yourself as well? Not advocate for myself, but my wife supports me through everything. Yeah. she gets the she gets the messy jobs. So if you're squeamish, you may not want to listen to this little bit. I mean, probably, but esophageal varices are quite a nasty uh, condition. They're veins like varicose veins that grow up your esophagus. And one night, mine decided they'd had enough and they just burst. So whilst I was being taken away in, in the in the ambulance with the siren and the blue lights going. Um, my wife was left clearing up, um, what shall I say, the, a pool of red stuff. Oof. And she oh did it. So that is my support, is my, is my wife. But, and also neighbours were, were fantastic when I was in hospital. Because she doesn't drive, it's difficult for her to get to the station. So they would get her to the station to get up to London and they'd look after the animals. Oh, that's good. Brilliant. So you, you really do find out who your friends are. Yeah. Really and people can give support in so many different ways, can't yes. they? I mean, there's there's that practical stuff of 
yeah looking after animals or children or cleaning the house or cooking the food and then like emotional support as, oh, as well yeah. yes yes so it's it, yeah it's absolutely valuable so I yes my book is dedicated obviously to her oh that's wonderful is there anything else that we missed off off the list is there anything else that you you had that you'd like to share or any kind of final words of advice no <laughs> I'm sure you wanted a yes but I think really we've covered it we've covered it all no that's good no, I think it's, it's it's been it's been great I I think that's it's all going to be really useful for for people and yeah grateful for you sharing all of your your tips and, and tricks and I feel a bit empowered now actually good <laughs> well, that's that was the whole point in doing all this was you know I've been helped let's help some others whilst I'm still able to before I become too decrepit and elderly to do anything well you're doing brilliantly and I'm going to keep an eye on the Bio Research UK <laughs> website for your next blog posts I my your book is on my to read list it's, it's been there for about <laughs> a year it's only 300 pages long <laughs> 300 oh gosh yeah yeah I wouldn't say every chapter is vital reading some of it was was put in just to there's there's one which basically said not a lot happened in this period but (laughs) I was I took steroids for 30 years continuously and and I wanted people to to know because most people try and get off them within a month but uh, I don't think it's had any bad side effects but I'll let others be the judge well, sometimes it's good to just not have anything eventful to need to write about. Yes. Oh, uh, yeah, unfortunately, yes. Then the, the rest of the however many, 20 chapters, it starts to get more serious. Oh, well, I, I will be, I'll be picking that up. I'll be reading that. It's been on my good. list for a long time. But yeah, perils of doing a PhD means, yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> a yeah, nice big yeah, stack yeah, of I them. wouldn't mind doing a PhD, but I think I'm probably a bit long in the tooth for that never too late well anyway thanks so much for coming on the podcast and talking to me today that's all right sam i thoroughly enjoyed it thank you for listening to can i button this podcast was brought to you by bowel research uk find out more about the charity our work and how you can get involved visit bowelresearchuk.org where you can join our people and research together network or part read about our research campaigns and fundraising, or make a donation to support the vital work we do. Let's end bowel cancer and bowel disease.